After every catch he makes on the baseball field, he'll look to you to make sure you're smiling. When her friends make the fourth grade pep squad, but she doesn't, she'll look to you for comfort. When she feels misunderstood by her brothers and sisters, she'll look to you for understanding. They'll never stop looking to you. When she walks down the aisle on that magical day, she'll look to you to bring peace to her anxious heart. When he plays his first concert with his new band, he'll look to your face in the crowd. When she makes choices that will break your heart, she'll eventually look to you for forgiveness and restoration. They'll never stop looking to you. And you can never stop. You must never stop looking to God. They don't need you to be perfect. They just need you to be authentic and offer them Jesus anyway. They need you to try your very best. And even if you fail, they need to see you rise up again. They need you to follow hard after Jesus as best you can because they will never stop looking to you. Son, I'm writing these words to you because you are, and always have been, the legacy I've wanted to leave. And now, it's your moment. It's your chance to leave a legacy of loving Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. They'll never stop looking to you. And that's the way God created it to be. Most important roles of a father is leaving a legacy. And your children will never stop, no matter how old they get, looking to you for guidance. And the greatest legacy of all is passed on when dads look to their heavenly father to guide their family. Heavenly father, you are the great father. You are the perfect father. You are the good father. And we look to you above all. Would you anoint your word? Let it become alive. Let it become prophetic and get me out of the picture and out of the way and speak to your people today this important message. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not. I didn't check. I didn't check. But I was told that in the dictionary, the word father comes before the word fatigued and after the word fathead. So for all of you fatigued fatheads out there, happy Father's Day. Come on, let's give it up. (laughs) A little boy was asked to define Father's Day. He said, that's easy. It's easy. It's the same as Mother's Day. You just don't spend as much on the gift. (laughs) Not true in my house, of course, at all. 
Now, I, we having fun. Oh, and, oh and, and by the way, the gifts, the gifts, the gifts. For Mother's Day, we, we gave our, our moms and our, actually all the ladies of the house uh, a bath bomb. And so we wanted to do something for you guys. And that's not beer in the lobby, okay? <laughs> Some of you looked at, came in quite surprised, and others looked like you might be a little bit happy about that. So <laughs> we just want to get that out of the way. That's IBC root beer and cream soda. But all of the guys, not just our dads, but all of the guys, we want you to, to grab one of those. Uh, on us. And I also am pleasured to have my dad in the house. Mom and dad are back here. Give it to them. Just wave your hand. <laughs> and I just, uh, Pastor Russ's dad is also in the house and his mom. We're glad to have you guys. Now, I, I want to be sensitive, and I try to be sensitive on, on days like this because it's, it's, it's a very joyous occasion a lot of the times, but for a lot of us, it can also, Father's Day can be a very difficult day. Maybe you have recently lost your father, or maybe you never really had a father in the house um, that was present in your life, or maybe you had a father, but they weren't a very good father, and maybe they were even abusive. Or maybe today serves as a reminder, while you certainly wanted to be a dad, at least in a biological sense, that opportunity was never given to you. So for all of those reasons, a lot of times I'm guilty of kind of sliding. Just we acknowledge it, we clap, and then I slide around and do a, another message and just kind of slide around this, the whole thing. And, and I think that's probably true in a lot of our churches as we get more and more sensitive to these kind of things the last 10 years or so. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But, I mean, you know, these, these issues are real, and I want to be sensitive to that. But as I was praying about this message this week, I want you to hear me. The weight of it just hit me. The Holy Spirit dealt with me and said, you can't bypass this opportunity to speak into the lives and be intentional about speaking into the lives of our dads and our fathers. Not just our biological dads in the house, but our stepdads, our grandfathers who are acting as dads, our spiritual fathers in the house. And if you're not a dad in the, and, and you, you don't fit any of those things, don't tune me out. That's, that's the temptation when you have a, a message that's sort of specific like this. You're like, well, this doesn't apply to me. Come on, the Word of God is bigger than that. The Word of God is bigger than that. It will not return void, the Bible says. And so you can pull any of this and, and, and align it and, and, and use it in your life. A few years back, the Hallmark Company, you know, the card company, they, they decided that on Mother's Day... They were going to give cards to incarcerated men for Mother's Day to give to their moms. And it went over huge. It was a huge success. I mean, almost 100% participation. Unbelievable. So two months later, they thought, well, we'll do the same thing for Father's Day. Very different result. They only had about 10% of the men request Father's Day cards because only about 10% of them had fathers in their life. Another fact, look at the screen, over, and this fits perfectly what I just said, over 90% of mass shooters grew up in homes without a father. And of course, all of those shooters were male men. Now, this doesn't mean that every boy that grows up in a home without a dad is going to become a mass shooter. We know that. But it also does tell us something we already know. Our kids 
need their fathers. Single moms, you are amazing. You are, look, can we just, I know it's Father's Day. Let's give it up for our single moms. You are amazing. My mom is here, and I don't think this would embarrass her at all, but she grew up with a single home, with a single mom, in a time period when that was very, with a divorce situation. That was very rare. It's not rare now. We know that. But in the 40s and the 50s, it was extremely rare. And, and Gramsci, my grandmother, would work at least two jobs and often three to make ends meet in that situation. And so our single moms, I applaud you. You are great mothers. But in, at the risk of being politically incorrect, single moms can't be fathers too. I think we need to get our heads out of the sand and admit that this is a problem. Now, you may be here as a dad, and you say, Pastor Allen, I'm, I'm divorced. You know, there's really nothing I can do. I don't live with my kids. They don't live with me. And so, you know, it's, I don't get to see my kids. And, I, hey, I get that. Over 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's not what I'm preaching about today. I'm talking about being fathers, no matter what's happening. Is that a reason to throw in the towel? Is that a reason to give up just because you've gone through a divorce? I don't think so. And when we, that divorce happens, parenting becomes a lot more difficult and more challenging in the schedules. But what I'm, what I'm trying to make the point is, is that in that situation, you've got to go above and beyond. You've got to be even more intentional about making plans and setting schedules to make sure your children are spending adequate time with both parents. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about an unsafe environment. Come on. Let's use, I'm, you know that, right? I'm, I'm, you say deadbeat dads. Yes, there are deadbeat dads. And when I say that, I mean a dad that doesn't want to be involved in the life of their child, won't pay their child support, or, or is abusive, or whatever the situation. But do you know that those, those are not as many as we may think? Usually, it's just some, the marriage dissolves, there's kids involved. And then things kind of just dissolve and and, and float away, and and that's what happens. This is extremely important. I want you to hear me. In divorce situations, no matter how much your ex gets under your skin or drives you crazy or makes you mad, you cannot put them down in front of your children. You cannot. Even if they deserve it. You cannot do it. And if you've been doing it, stop and apologize to your child. That's what I said. And, and, and you, even if they're doing it to you, you can't control them. But everything you can do to make sure that that child is able to be with both parents and have respect for both parents. And dads that don't have their children living with them, which is the case most of the time, you've got to... Step up and go overboard. I mean overboard to be there for your son and daughter in their early years. You need to cancel business trips to be at baseball games. You need to reschedule the hot date so that you could be at a dance recital. Hear me clearly. Your divorced circumstances dictate that you go into full-on overkill mode when it comes to your kids. Because it makes a huge difference when they can look up and see your face or hear your voice in the crowd. It's not the same as a text message. It's not the same as a phone call. 
when they can hear you, and you know, you know your kids are worth every second. Everybody look at me. And by the way, this isn't just for divorced dads. This is for all of us dads. Look at the screen. As fathers, we need to be visible and active in our children's lives. Visible. Say visible. And active in our children's life. Many of you know that Kathy and I took in a boy when we were very young, or just had been married. We took in our son, Chuck, and we were in our early 20s. And I made so many mistakes, but one of the biggest was putting my ministry above his going to ball games and things like that. Let me tell you something. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our life, okay? Our relationship with Jesus tops everything because everything flows from our relationship with him. Our marriages, our kids, our jobs, our recreation, everything flows out of that relationship. But a relationship with Jesus is not the same thing as ministry or not the same thing as church stuff or the same thing as your job. That cannot come next. And I made that mistake. And I put ministry, and I was also flipping houses during that time, and we've talked about that. And I put all of that above him and above, and that was one of the biggest mistakes. And I can't take that back. I I can't go back and redo that. But some of you have that opportunity now to change some things. Now, I know this is different today. And if you're a visitor, you're a guest, you're like, well, we picked a good one today for Father's Day. I'm telling you what, this is so uplifting. Thank you, brother. Watch the last two weeks of my sermons, okay? I just go back online, and they were really encouraging, and I'm not as mean in those, okay? Honestly. Now, we're going somewhere with this. (laughs) We're going somewhere with this, and it's going to end good, I promise, I hope. Here we go. This is not my usual preaching style, but again, let me just say, I I just sensed a a weight. That's the right word, a weight, as I prayed this week about this, because, folks, there is a crisis in America. We now live in a culture where the role of the father has been devalued to the point that now we are beginning to see the results, and sometimes they're dangerous and sometimes they're even deadly, of kids growing up, and especially boys, in homes without a father figure. So for the rest of the time, I want to share some practical and biblical ways that we can turn this trend around, and maybe not on a national level, but at least in your circle of influence, in our community, in our church. And remember, I compiled these with not just biological dads in mind. Let me remind us that Joseph, you know, Mary and Joseph, was not Jesus' biological dad. He was his stepdad. He was willing to step in. That's what that means. He was willing to step in and raise Jesus the best he could. Now, granted, it was Jesus. I mean, how hard could that have been, right? I mean, it's like you think a perfect child. Okay, anyway, but hey, props to him for doing it, right? Look at the screen. Being a good dad is not always in the DNA, but it's always in the heart. Come on, that's a good place to clap and to, yeah. So if you're a stepdad or a spiritual father, or maybe you just are finding yourself in a position that you didn't ask for, 
or you didn't see or expect, where you've got some young eyes looking up to you for guidance, where they might not have a dad at home, and they're looking up to you. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're a school teacher. Maybe you work with the kids downstairs or whatever the case may be. God is opening an amazing opportunity for you to make a difference in the life of the child, and you're scared to death, and that's fine, but he will make a way. He is setting this thing up, and I guarantee you will be blessed by it. The child will be blessed by it, and God will use it for that kid, especially if the natural parent is not there. God will do it. By far, the most challenging thing that Kathy and I ever did was to raise a boy who was not our own, but with God's grace and his mercy, and I'm telling you, there was a lot of it. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We made it. We made it. And we're going to talk a little more about that as we go. But now we're enjoying the fruit of those years. We've got grandkids. We've got a wonderful daughter-in-law. We've, it's, you know, God is blessing. It's just, it, it is worth it. It is worth it. So again, dads, here are some practical ways that we can leave a legacy of faith that will benefit our children. Number one. Hey, listen, we're going to have five of these, okay? And there there could be a hundred. But maybe pick one, okay? Five can be overwhelming. Maybe pick one that resonates with you to begin doing immediately. Number one, let your kids see your faith journey. Let them see it. Let them witness it. Let them see your love for God on display, not with just your mouth and your lips, but a, a practiced love. Let them catch you reading the Bible and studying Let them hear you. Leave the door open to your room when you're praying and let them hear you pray out loud. When you're at the restaurant, embarrass the hound out of them. I mean, pray for that food obnoxiously loud and like maybe even grab their hands and they're like, we don't even do this at home. And you're like, I know, but we're going to do it here. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, bless this food. And they'll, they'll never, they won't like it, but they'll never forget it. <laughs> Take them with you when you go to serve in the church or in the community. Let them see you using your gifts and talents and passions for God's work. Let it be obvious to your children that church attendance is a priority, not something that you do if there's nothing else better to do. And when you are here, make sure that you're engaged. Let them see you, dads, raising your hand and worshiping. Let them hear you sing. I don't care if you sing off key. You let them hear you. Take notes. Be engaged. You, don't th- you think all they're doing is playing a video game on their phone. I guarantee they're watching. I guarantee they're paying attention more than you could ever think. Make sure your body language is engaged with what's happening. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just listen, but do it and make sure you're doing those things in front of your kids. Number two, if you are married, do not make your children the center of your marriage. All right, good. I'm like, am I in left field somewhere? Do not make them the center. There's a lot of benefits to this, one of which is staying married. I'm preaching. God never meant for our children to be the center of our marriages. 
for one reason is they'll be really, really spoiled and they may live in your basement for the rest of your life. I might have just really stepped on some toes. But if they do grow up and they do move out, when the centerpiece of your marriage is suddenly gone, what happens? Things can fall apart. Happens all the time. It doesn't work for our kids to be the center of our marriages. That place of honor is designated for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can hold these things, these difficult things, together. And our kids need to know it. Number three, be your child's first teacher. Be your child's first teacher. Dads and moms, it's our responsibility first to teach our children, not the school system, not the church, and not definitely not the government. Okay? Listen, listen, listen. Those institutions and organizations can help along the way, but we need to be the first ones to raise our kids in the admonition of the faith in Jesus and also just how to be respectful and how to talk to people and how to work hard and how to have a work ethic and all those things. Proverbs 22.6 says, Direct your children, say that, your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Deuteronomy 6, 6 says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. What's he, that's Moses. What's he talking about? He's talking about the word of God. Okay, he says, repeat them again and again to your children. Your children, say it. Your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road. Oh, that's taxi time. How many know about taxi time on the way to basketball practice or, or, or dance recital or, or this or that school or friends or whatever? Pull the earbuds out of their ears and have a conversation about life and about Jesus Christ. Use the time that God gives us, even if it's that kind of time. Sometimes it's all the time we get, as chaotic and as crazy as it gets. They won't like you pulling the earbuds out, but we need to do it. We need to take the opportunity to do it. And dads, listen, that means us too. I'm stepping on my own toes. A lot of times we put this kind of stuff off onto the moms, onto our wives, and we're like going to be reserved to do the manly stuff. <laughs> I'm going to go out and throw the ball with him when he gets home, or I'm going to change the oil, or teach him how to use a chainsaw, or, you know, whatever. Listen, that's kind of dangerous, but... I'm going to teach them how to shoot a gun. Whatever. You know, all these manly. It doesn't get any more manly than teaching your son or daughter about Jesus Christ and how to live your life according to the word of the living God. It doesn't get any more manly than that. Kathy teaches fourth grade, and she comes home with these stories that just blow my mind about how teachers come in and complain, complain about all the stuff the school's not doing for their kids. When all of those things should be being done by them. It's unbelievable. But that's the mindset we have to fight. We need to be the first teacher. Number four, spend private time with your children. Spend private time with your children. Dads, this is especially true if you have more than one child. Because they are unique. And they don't want to share you. <laughs> okay? They need their own time. I told you about Chuck and, and how I dropped the ball so badly when I was younger. When my girls came along, I did a little better, and we developed these things called daddy-daughter dates. As they got older and as they got at elementary and middle school, I still like to do them. My, my girls are, are almost grown. Uh, Kathy, or, uh, 
What, what's, Ashley, I know they get, get them all mixed up. How many do that with your kids? Come on. <laughs> I'm looking right at them and I say everything but their name. Ashley's almost getting ready to graduate next year. Uh, college, uh, Sarah just graduated high school and Rachel's in middle school, so it doesn't happen as much. But there for a, a, a while, pretty good significant amount of time, I would go out each week with a different daughter so that every month they got their own daddy-daughter date. And, we, and for us, it was always about the food. We like to eat. And it was either wings or steak. Wings or steak. So somebody give God praise for wings and steak. I raised my girls, right? Hallelujah. So I can't say that I didn't enjoy it too, but we had a great time. We would laugh and talk about different things. And it was their time. And, and I, I treasure that. And we still try to do that uh, when we can. Psalm 139, one says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. Listen to this. You are familiar. Everybody say familiar. Familiar with all my ways. Our Heavenly Father took the time to get to know us better than we know ourselves. Shouldn't we do that with our kids? And number five, be compassionate with your children. That's a loaded word. Be compassionate. The word compassion means sympathetic, tender, sensitive, warm, caring. And this one, forgiving. Forgiving. And once again, these sound like mom words. But dads, listen to me. We make a mistake if we think that parenting is a bad cop, good cop, or good cop, bad cop routine where mom is the good cop and the sensitive one and like, oh, it's okay, and da-da-da-da. And then we come in at the end and lay down the hammer. Are we in the dinosaur age? Or 1950, whichever one you want to? Come on. Is that the way we're going to live? Is that the way we're going to think? That's not. We need to be loving and caring and compassionate towards our kids, even during the seasons when they are not very lovable. Look at me. Everybody look at me. Never give up. Never give up on your kids. Never give up on your kids. Because your heavenly Father has never given up on you. And he's never given up on them either. I don't care how far they've gone, how far they strayed, the the poor decisions that they've made, the heartache that they have caused you, you never give up on them because I serve a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever think or even ask. I serve a God of the impossible. You may think there's no way they've gone too far, but with God, the Holy Spirit can do a work in one second to change their heart and to draw them back in. One moment is all he needs. We cannot give up on our children. Because I have a feeling there was a time in your life when you were in that same situation and somebody didn't, my God, somebody didn't give up on you. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody stood in the gap for you. Somebody didn't give up on you. And your heavenly father didn't give up on you. And here you are today. Hallelujah. I'm speaking to somebody today. That's hope. That's hope. That's hope. That's hope. I mean, you have to discipline, you have to 
hold them accountable. And at times you have to exhibit that tough love and make some really hard decisions. But all through that, you cannot give up on them. The most famous parable in the Bible is the prodigal son. This young man is, is, the story goes that he's in a wealthy home. But he wants his inheritance now. And he does the unthinkable. In that culture, it was the same. For him to ask for his inheritance was the same as saying, Dad, I don't care if you're alive or dead. I just want my money. Matter of fact, just, I, don't, I really don't care. So he gets his money and he goes to a foreign country. And he spends it on prostitutes and, and partying and friends. And of course, you know, of course it's going to be gone soon. And he is starving and he's in trouble. And he begins to think, well, you know what? My dad is still wealthy. I can at least go back and be one of his servants and have food. And then Luke 15, 20 says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, here's our word, everybody say it, compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. That father wasn't worried about what the neighbors were thinking when their their no good son came back from doing whatever. He didn't even care about the elder son and how mad he was about the whole situation. All that father could think was, I've got my son back and I'm going to show him how much I love him, that I'll always love him no matter what he's done. My God, hallelujah. That's how the heavenly father thinks about you and me. And that's how we have to have compassion on our children. Compassion. When it got really, really, really bad with Chuck, he was almost 18 years old. And we began finding drugs and alcohol in his room. At that time, our girls were were little babies across the hall. So we had to sit down with him and have a, a conversation And it went something like this, Chuck, we love you. We love you. You are ours. But we cannot have this in our home. So you have a decision to make. You get rid of it. You get help. We'll do whatever we need to do. But you can't live here with this. And he left. Two days before his 18th birthday, he left. But guess what? We did not give up on him. We kept a relationship with him. It actually got better because he, what, we weren't in our, each other's face all the time. We got better, and over a year and a half, he decided he had enough of the world. <laughs> and he came back, and he said, can I move back in? And we said, absolutely. But here are the, still the rules. No drugs, no alcohol. And we've added one more. You've got to go to church. You've got to go to church with us. And he agreed to all of it. There were bumps in the road. Somebody say amen. Of course there were. But listen, it wasn't long after that that he truly gave his heart to the Lord and never looked back. I tell that story, and I tell it often. If you've been here for three, the three years that I've been, you've heard it several times. But I tell it because it's real. It really happened. My mom and dad are here. Kathy, the girls, they lived through it. They know. And I'm telling you because if you have a son or daughter in that situation, that, I could, that's, it was a miracle. If somebody got up out of a coffin in in a funeral, it wouldn't be any more of a big deal to me than what happened with Chuck. He was raised from death to life. 
And I tell that to be encouraging to you to not give up, not give up, not give up. Now, this list I've given you, like I said, it's, ex- it's not exhaustive. We could have 25 things, but that gets overwhelming. Amen? I want you to pick one. I want you to start doing one, dads. I want you to pick one of them and start doing it and see what happens and see how God uses it. The point is that we step up. We step up. In whatever situation, a divorced home, uh, whatever, the, whatever the case, we step up and be the dads that we need to be. There's too much on the stake. There's too much on the line. Too much at stake. Now, maybe you're not a biological dad, but I challenge you. I want you to listen to me. I want you to step up and and pray a prayer that God would send you a spiritual son or daughter. I double-dog dare you because God is going to answer it. Pray that God would send you a spiritual son or daughter that needs someone to fit and, and, and fill that role in their life. No, you can't live with them. You can't spend all the time that you would like to, but I promise God can do amazing things if you're willing, if you're willing. As we close, this is the big idea. God never asks us to be perfect, but he does ask that we rely on him every step of the way, every step of the way. Would you please stand with me for prayer?